The Veterans Report is sponsored by James Cannon. In my line of work, you got to keep repeating things over and over and over again for the truth to sink in, to kind of catapult the propaganda. Seven years of college down the drain. I'm sorry, but all questions must be submitted in writing. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Welcome to the Veterans Report, the region's only show dedicated to those who have served our country. We have the latest news and information on resources available to veterans, including health care, education, employment tips, local volunteer organizations, and more. To those who have served, those who are serving, and to those who will, we salute you. And now, the host of the Veterans Report, Jim Cannon. And welcome back to the Veterans Report. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, we've got a couple of news stories to cover. We have an interview, uh, some information, and uh, so hang in there. Uh, we're going to have our interview at the halfway mark. Uh, I'll let you know in just a second who that is. If you are a social media type person, we are on Facebook, we are on Twitter, we are on Instagram. So you can look us up there. Uh, anything you hear on the show, any kind of, uh, well, actually the entire episode will be housed on the website, theveteransreport.com. And, and a bonus for you super techie people, we also have all of our sound files, all of our episodes on uh, what are we on here? I, I had to look it up. iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So if you're one of those folks who likes to download podcasts, please head out, look for the Veterans Report on those platforms because we're there. Uh, so our guest today at the halfway mark is going to be a guy named Richard Stasekel. Uh, now, Rich, and I don't want to give away the whole thing because we're going to cover this during the interview, but Rich is a, a former Marine turned Green Beret who has who's really living uh, uh, going through a living hell right now. Uh, if you have time between now and then, or if you want to do it at the halfway point, just Google his story. It's S T A Y S K A L. Richard Stasekel. Um, uh, it's a, it's a tragic tragic tale. So please tune in for that. It's a very special story, and we want people, we want everybody listening at some point to get involved and take action because this is one of those rare cases where you can hear something on the radio and you yourself can get in the ring. You can do it. Okay, you can be a part of something bigger than yourself. You can be a part of something that's going to help people not just today, not just tomorrow, but years down the road. And this is important. We don't do a lot of calls to action on this show. Uh, we do sort of generic ones like, oh, you know, contact your rep. In this case, we mean contact your rep, and there's a very specific mission for you. There's a very clear, articulate, specific message. Okay, so if you listen to this show today, you need more information, please reach out to us. We're happy to provide background. We're happy to provide contact info. Uh, happy to walk you through the process. Again, I'm not going to give all this away. You're going to have to listen to the interview. If you walk away from this show today and you don't feel like lifting a finger, uh, I don't know what to tell you. There's there's some kind of character issue there because this is one of those things. Where you, it, it is a serious and a grave issue. Um, now, I will also let you know that uh, our partners down at, at, uh, at WTF Nation Radio, um, good friends, good partners, uh, they've helped uh, really 
propel the Veterans Report to where it is in terms of thousands of listeners and, and having a massive online presence. Uh, and we could not have done it without them. So number one, I want to say thank you to WTF Nation Radio, uh, the whole crew down there. Now, number two is that our interview with Rich today is going to be sort of part one. Um, you know, this is a one-hour program, and we don't have the luxury of a lot of time, which is unfortunate. And so we try to, you know, we try to squeeze the interviews into about a half hour here at max on this show. So we're going to speak with Rich and his his attorney, uh, Rich Stasekel and his attorney Natalie, at the halfway point. But this is part one of a two-part series. Part two. Uh, our good friend Ice at WTF Nation is going to pick up the slack in a couple of weeks, and he's going to get into a lot more detail and uh, take what you know this take what this show is doing today, and Ice is going to run with it, magnify it, and uh, turn it into a bowl game as opposed to sort of a, a, a turkey bowl here on my end. But um, again, you know, WTF Nation has a much bigger platform. Um, great partners. And and we're gonna pick this up. We're gonna we're gonna tag team this thing. So, this is sort of your intro today to what's going on. And then, as I said, Ice at WTF Nation is gonna uh, run with this thing full tilt at some point uh, in the near future. They're still working out the scheduling and the logistics, but they're gonna have Rich and Natalie on on their show as well. So keep that in mind while you're listening. So uh, news stories, because I don't wanna <laughs> wanna take up the first half hour telling you about what's coming up in the second half hour. But um, something a little bit uh, well. Here's another. Here's a. Here's a kind of a sad story. Uh, the oldest surviving uh, uh, Pearl Harbor veteran has has passed away at 106 years old. Ray Chavez, a man who was celebrated as the oldest living veteran of the Pearl Harbor attack, died Wednesday at the age of 106 in the San Diego suburb of Poway after a battle with pneumonia. The mild-mannered Chavez became a national figure three years ago when he was recognized as the oldest survivor of the 1941 attack by other Pearl Harbor survivors. When pra- Check this out. When praised for his service, his reaction was often to shrug, according to his daughter Kathleen. I was just doing my job, he would say. His death was mourned in a tweet by the White House. Quote, we were honored to host him at the White House earlier this year. Thank you for your service to our great nation, Ray. In May, President Donald Trump praised Chavez as he attended a Memorial Day service at Arlington National Cemetery. So, oldest living, uh, oldest living Pearl Harbor survivor. Well, not, I mean, (laughs) I think you know what I mean. I'm trying to peruse my notes here. He was, uh, where is he? Chavez did not talk of the attack until its 50th anniversary. At that time, he began regularly attending anniversary events. He was preceded in death by his wife, Margaret. His daughter is his only survivor. That's amazing. That is amazing. 106 years old, so a good long life despite going through something as horrific as the Pearl Harbor attack and remaining humble. To, to his last day. Just, um, that's what America's about, though, right? That's what, uh, that's what our people are about. That's what our service people are about. Doing the right thing, right? Hanging in there and staying humble. So, Godspeed, Ray Chavez. And thank you. So, as we often do, we bring you news about the VA. Some of you are a part of that system. Some of you 
are not, and some of you are on the fence. I'm sure that the news we cover here doesn't help those of you who are on the fence. Uh, confirmation. Here's the story. Confirmation of new Veterans Affairs CIO takes new urgency in light of recent GI Bill benefits problems. A key remaining piece of business for the Senate in the final weeks of the 115th Congress will be confirming a new head of technology issues for Veterans Affairs, a post that has come under great scrutiny with the ongoing problems processing GI Bill benefits this fall. A vote on the nomination of James Paul Ferrer, picked to be the next chief information officer for the department, could come as early as next week when the Senate returns from Thanksgiving break. His appointment has been non-controversial so far, but it's become a lot more urgent in recent weeks as lawmakers began questioning problems with VA information systems that have contributed to delays and payouts of thousands of GI Bill stipends this semester. Ferrer, a Marine Corps veteran, was nominated by the White House in late July and easily approved by the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee in mid-September. The biggest obstacle to his final approval has been the congressional schedule, since the midterm election scuttled all but a few weeks of work over the last two months. In April, current acting CIO Camilo Sandoval took over the post, and his appointment drew immediate concerns among congressional Democrats. Sandoval, an Air Force vet, served as the data operations director for Trump's presidential campaign, and was linked to the controversial use of private social media data by the consulting firm Cambridge Cambridge Analytica. Administration officials have defended his appointment, calling him an expert in innovative financial technology. In recent here's the okay, you ready for this? In recent months, Sandoval has overseen work on transitioning the department's electronic medical records to the same system as the Department of Defense, an ambitious project expected to take more than a decade and $16 billion to implement. And as some of you will remember, because we've covered it, I don't know, five or six times here, uh, that system is still a disaster, still not working. And I say disaster not because there are minor problems. I say disaster because it's reflective, that word is reflective of the amount of money devoted to this thing. If you're going to spend, and here I am on my soapbox, if you're going to spend $8 billion on a software program, Right to make it compatible with another software program that is designed and run by the same company, shouldn't it work? Yeah, I'm oversimplifying that, and I know a lot of you, uh, a lot of you IT folks out there right now, uh, there's steam coming out of the top of your head, and you're turning beet red, and you're pounding the keyboard, saying that's not a, does you know there's no system's perfect. I, I understand that no system's perfect. I get it. Uh, but if you're spending billions of dollars, it should be as close to perfect as possible, don't you think? Hmm? I can go over to, I don't know, pick a, I can go to Best Buy, I can go on Amazon, and I can buy, I can buy my own copy of MS Office Professional, okay? I, I don't even know what that costs anymore. Last time I bought one of these things, it was like, I forget, 180 bucks or something, 200 something. Right, downloaded it, put it on my machine, right, have the little key code, put it in there. It's my own copy. Hey, guess what? It works. Imagine that. And Microsoft didn't spend $8 billion developing that, putting it together, and making sure it works. Are there bugs? Yeah, there are bugs. 
And you know what? There's a little online thing where you can go and you can fix the bugs. I'm just saying with something like this that is as specific as healthcare records, if you're going to spend billions of dollars, tax dollars, and create all these full-time positions and, and you know, uh, make the machine bigger, right? Right? Open, open a wider umbrella with bureaucracy, then make sure it works. That's all I'm asking. So we need to get this guy, uh, what's his name again? Ferrer. James Paul Ferrer. They need to get him confirmed, get him in the position, right, and have him run full tilt at this thing and make sure everything goes where it's supposed to go. He's also, he has to address this GI Bill problem, right, because it's, the, the issue there was outdated technology. So I, I don't know, like, we, you know, oh, it wasn't $8 billion, I'm sorry, $16 billion between DOD and the VA. Uh, $16 billion, yeah, for this software thing. How do you, yeah. I was about to go down the other path of how do you have outdated technology if you have that kind of money to spend on software for health records? It's, it's, it's like an onion, right? The VA is like a big old onion. You keep peeling it back, peeling it back, peeling it back. Actually, it's more like an Escher drawing, right? You know the, the famous Escher drawing with the stairs? And it goes in a circle. That's what the VA is like. And I feel awful. I really want them to succeed. I really do. Uh, so also related to the VA, Apple, right? Apple, the people who make the wonderful dainty iPhones, the ones that break if you look at them wrong. Uh, they are in talks with the Department of Veterans Affairs to offer veterans medical records access on the iPhone. Uh, the Wall Street Journal reported that Apple's in talks with uh, VA, da, 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 I just read that. This comes as Apple continues its push into the health industry with platforms like HealthKit, ResearchKit, and Health Records. Those are all uppercase. Uh, according to the report, the partnership would see Apple create special software tools to allow the VA's 9 million veterans enrolled in the current system to access their health records on uh, I iOS devices. A partnership between the Department of Veterans Affairs and Apple would attract new customers to Apple's platform as well as simplify uh, patients' hospital visits. The report says under the plans being discussed, Apple would create special software tools uh, allowing the VA's 9 million veterans to transfer their health records to iPhones and provide engineering support to the agency. Interesting. Huh. The report added, oh, here, here you go for you conspiracy buffs. The report adds that top VA officials, as well as associates from President Trump's Mar-a-Lago Club, discussed this Apple project in emails. These are the super secret ones, which have since been obtained by the Wall Street Journal. An Apple spokesperson told the Wall Street Journal that the company, quote, has nothing to announce. Hmm. Under the plans, where are we here? Oh, it's the same story. So uh, the partnership would be a major boost for Apple at a time when technology companies are looking to elbow into the $3.2 trillion healthcare market. Alphabet Incorporated recently hired prominent hospital system executive David Feinberg to oversee its health initiatives. And Amazon 
has joined with J.P. Morgan, Chase and & Company, and Berkshire Hathaway to form a company that reduces its workers' health costs. Now, if I were going to put on my tinfoil hat, I would say hold on to your pants because things are going to get a lot more interesting with respect to uh, health care in this country. I mean, when you have those companies involved in this, Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, and J.P. Morgan, along with Apple, how do you all feel about that? How do you feel about that? Think about that. Amazon uh, has data mining down to an art form. If Amazon doesn't know everything about you today, they will soon, right? You have Apple, which uh, certainly enables people like Amazon uh, with technology, right? And Apple's the same way. They're they're a bunch of <laughs> they're sneaky, right? I don't knock for knock them for what they're doing as far as technology and advances and things they've created. I think that's wonderful. I'm a capitalist at heart. However, uh, they're still a sneaky company. And then Berkshire Hathaway. I mean, they're just they're just flat out uh, cutthroat. So we're going to see what happens here, huh? But how do you feel about? How would you feel as a vet? How would you feel knowing that Apple has access to your health records? Because that's what it'll take. It'll take Apple having access to all of that, which means Apple would then have access to your health history. Apple would then have access to uh, ongoing health issues. How do you feel about that? Is, is that? is that worth the convenience to be able to pull that stuff up on your iPhone? I will tell you, my opinion is no. Uh, and the fact that we already have the second largest department of the federal government devoted to uh, basically the caretaking of our records, why can't we just make that work? Or, or is this the is this the much feared, um, uh, whatever you want to call it, leap, right between between public and private? Is this it? Is this is this is this the bridge? Is this what uh, you know? Uh, Democrats were jumping up and down about, and the unions were scared of, and and you know folks like the American Legion and VFW opposed. Is this it? Is this basically the harbinger? Is this the 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 is this the uh, sort of the marquee light saying, hey, here's the coming attraction. The coming attraction is uh, these four behemoths, right, especially Amazon, right? They're, they're going to come in. They're going to sweep this thing clean. And guess what? There's a new sheriff in town when it comes to, to veterans health care. And I got news for you. It's not just going to be veterans health care. That's, that's where they'll start, right, because that's an easy one. Everything's in one box. These folks can walk in and go, hey, why don't you, why don't you let us take a peek at that? Let us take a peek at the uh, the VA records. Hey, hey, why don't you look at look over here? Look over here. Don't pay attention to what we're doing over here, right? They're going to go in. They're going to use this as basically their testing ground, as you know, as 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 the military is usually um, subject to, right? The testing ground, the proving ground, and if it works with the nine million vets, you don't think they're going to carry that over to the rest of the country? I don't, know. I don't know how you feel about it, but I am not a big fan of that. I don't care how secure your iPhone is. Don't care. It makes me nervous. It makes me nervous to have those folks involved. Uh, one quick feel-good story. So some of you know the actor James Woods. He's been in a lot of different movies over the years. Uh, phenomenal actor. Uh, what was the one with... Uh, what was the one in the 80s? Uh, against All Odds. 
right? The scene with the Porsche and stuff. I, I love that movie. I thought that was cool. That's like the consummate uh, 1980s movie. Anyway, I'm a big fan of James Woods. Um, he recently used his Twitter account to do some good. Um, actor James Woods used his Twitter account to call attention to a veteran who sent a distressed tweet. And authorities located the man who had tweeted he was contemplating death by suicide. So the short end of it is, because we're, uh, we're running out of time here. Um, so Woods saw this tweet popped up, and there's a whole exchange that goes back and forth in this story. This one was in USA Today. Woods picked up the tweet. This guy basically said he was going to kill himself. Woods picked it up, put it on his account, and he's got several million followers on his Twitter account. And he asked everybody to help out, and they did. The police tracked this guy down. Uh, and they ended up getting him some help. So, and I bring that up uh, not just because of James Woods. Here's a guy who used social media the right way. This is what social media was designed for, right? The rapid fire spread of information. And in this case, it saved somebody's life. So I thought that was really cool. And he used his celebrity platform to do it. So James Woods should be commended for that. Uh, just something to think about while you're Facebooking and, and tweeting and all that other stuff over the weekend. So, hey, we're going to take a quick break here in a minute, and uh, as promised when we come back, we're going to have our interview with Rich Stasekel, and I, I ask, I beg, I encourage everybody to tune in, listen, and following the show, again, if you need information, reach out to us here at the Veterans Report, uh, or, you know, contact um, contact your reps. Get involved, though. There is a message in this. So hang loose, and uh, we'll be back in a couple minutes. If you want to keep up with the latest in veteran news away from the radio, stop by our website at www.theveteransreport.com. There you'll find news headlines along with links to media outlets around the world. You can also find links to every state's veteran services office. And for you film buffs, there's even a link to a war movie database. We appreciate you stopping by the Facebook page at facebook.com slash theveteransreport. There, like the website, you'll find the latest news and information related to veterans. For you high-speed individuals who want to limit yourself to 140 characters, stop by our Twitter account. It's a great way to find information on veteran organizations throughout the country and what they're up to. You can tweet us by using at the Vets Report. If you'd like to email the show directly, please send us your input, comments, or suggestions to editor at theveteransreport.com. Thanks again for checking out our pages. Thanks for listening, and thank you for supporting our veterans community. And welcome back to the Veterans Report. Thanks for hanging in there and uh, and waiting to hear this awesome story. Um, so, uh, you know, we've been fortunate enough since the show began. I've been fortunate enough. Uh, to feature some interesting guests, great organizations doing for others, helping others by by lending time, raising funds, providing free expertise and opportunity. It's been great. Uh, it's been rewarding. It's just been amazing to hear all the stories of the positive, all the good things people do for others. No expectations, no rewards, just doing the right thing. So for today's show, I'm asking all of you listening to take in the story you hear today, really hear the information, hear the details, and then, uh, f- you know, follow the show, make a decision after the show, make a decision in your heart to somehow get involved and take action. We're going to tell you uh, toward the end of the interview how to do that, because you can, in this case, you can take action, you can get involved and you can be a part of something. You know, I've preached it before that people need to stop 
pointing out what's wrong in the world and start stepping in the ring to fix it. And today's show is one of those cases. So let me let me tell you where we're going with this. Um, Sergeant First Class Richard School was deployed to Ramadi, Iraq in 2004 when he was shot by a sniper. The round, which he kept as a souvenir, pierced his left lung and nearly killed him. Okay, imagine living through that. Um, so uh, Sergeant Stasekul comes back um, following a June 2017 visit to a civilian doctor to address breathing problems, breathing issues, the Army told him, that was a simple case of pneumonia. He got the news, did a biopsy, and when I woke up, my wife was crying, he told Fox 46 down in Charlotte, and the doctor was telling her that I had cancer. Let that sink in, okay? You had a diagnosis of pneumonia, turned out to be cancer. Um, So now that, you know, hearing something like that is heartbreaking, it's infuriating, and it's an unbelievable story. So here to walk us through the whole story, the additional details, give us an update on where things stand with regard to the case, to the law, and to any legislative efforts to fix it, are Sergeant First Class Richard Stasekul and his attorney, Natalie Quam. How are you both? We're good. Thank you for uh, having us. Doing great. Thank you. And thank you. Thank you for coming on. Uh, we appreciate it. So, Richard, I'm going to start with you. As a soldier, you did what you were supposed to do. You followed orders. You completed missions. You did what was expected of you. Uh, you know, you even took a round to the chest and you lived to tell about it. I mean, that's that is the definition of hardcore. So it's probably tough. Um, it, it's tough to rock you emotionally or personally. I mean, you're a tough guy. Uh so when you heard what the physician said, what was your initial reaction? Uh, yeah, I was, I was uh, you know, the news didn't really quite sink in that quick. My, what was the hardest was seeing my wife in the situation that she was in. You know, just probably crying the hardest I've ever seen her cry. Uh, just crushed. And I knew the news was bad. I mean, I was still kind of coming through. And then, yeah, as I realized she was saying it's cancer i was just shocked beyond belief i couldn't believe it there's no way it could be you know you never think it could be you and uh you know it was it was heartbreaking it was i was sad for myself but i was my heart was crushed for my family now i want to let everybody know now you you were um you weren't just a soldier uh you were a super soldier you were a green beret um Yes, sir. And, and, you know, and having been in uh, two branches, uh, and you know, including the Army, I understand what goes into that kind of training and what's involved with that. So uh, admiration and respect um, for everything you've done. Uh, you know, now troops always have sort of a dark sense of humor, this macabre sense of humor. And you know what I'm talking about. Yes, sir. Um, you know, and I remember I remember going to Womack years ago for medical stuff and, you know, all of us sort of busting on it and, you know, cracking really dark jokes and, you know, none of which are appropriate for the radio. But had you ever been there before for like any kind of routine, um, you know, health issues, any kind of checkups or shots or anything? Had you been to that facility before? No, absolutely not. I've, you know, I've been perfectly healthy. I've never had any reason to. If I've done anything, I've just gone to a simple clinic to get maybe some Tylenol or, you know, an ACE bandage or something. But no, I, you know, we try to stay away from those things because we have, we have training to do. We have, you know, we future missions to go to there's more important things to do than not not worry about your health but we, we always stay healthy we have no reason to be there so I, I need to do some more follow-up so your condition 
um, initially, you know, deteriorated. And by May 2017, uh, it says you got you were rushed to the hospital with your wife, Megan, who I understand is with you now, um, to Womack Army Medical Center. And, you know, Megan is quoted as saying they had to crack down on your chest to get you to open your eyes. Um, and she was asking why you're not breathing. So records from the visit to the hospital show that the doctors reevaluated the January CT scan and noticed an irregularity that needed to be addressed, calling what they saw, quote, possible, uh, I'm not even going to pronounce this, mediastinal mass and recommending a transbronchial biopsy. Inexplicably, uh, Siskel and his wife were reportedly relayed none of this critical information and were instead sent home after being told it was a case of pneumonia. That alone is unforgivable. Um, I'm, I'm going to, I had all kinds of notes. I'm just going to get into it. Rich, d- did you ever get an adequate explanation as to why nobody bothered relaying any of the vital information about your condition? No, absolutely not. No, nobody's told me anything um, other than I, I got a brief, a brief explanation of, uh, you know, things happen. Um, but other than that, I've received no guidance as to how it could have happened, why it could have happened, how somebody even could have fathomed the thought to deliberately not report somebody with a tumor center line of their chest. Um, like I said, other than when I when I did ask one time, I was just told things happen. So let me let me continue with this. After the terminal cancer diagnosis a month later, uh, Stasekel made contact with attorney, attorney Natalie Quam of the whistleblower law firm who agreed to represent the special operations soldier and pursue a $10 million lawsuit against the government alleging medical malpractice. Despite the egregious nature of alleged malpractice, the case is unlikely to ever go to trial. The 1950 Supreme Court decision known as the Ferris Doctrine, that's with an F, prevents active duty military personnel from suing the government for injuries sustained as a result of military service. Conversely, Civilians are well within their rights to sue for cases of medical malpractice. So, Natalie, let me turn to you. You're representing Rich in this pursuit for justice, but as I just laid out, you're running headfirst into what at least looks like an insurmountable uh, legal brick wall known as the Ferris Doctrine. So before we get into sort of a progress report on on where all this stands— you know, I, I read a line, uh, you know, uh, in my notes about what the Ferris Doctrine is and, and what's involved. So um, if you could walk everybody, you know, give everybody sort of a, a, I don't know, the elevator's version of what it is. What is the Ferris Doctrine? So the Ferris Doctrine was a law that came down from the Supreme Court years ago that said basically anyone that's an active military in combat that um, gets injured or harmed, that's the whole spirit of the law, cannot sue for malpractice or cannot sue them, how about this, cannot sue government um, because basically they're an active duty and kind of like a risk that they inherit. However, um, it, the doctrine itself got, it was expanded. I believe that it was expanded um, in such a way that it undermines what the spirit of the law was. Sort of law was to say that hey you can't sue the U.S. government when you're in uniform because the guy goes to battle you know he gets shot and while this medic is trying to help him like just say he gets shot in the leg and while the medic is trying to help him and you know they they um, by accidentally mess up his leg and he gets amputated well it's kind of like we can't sue for malpractice it was kind of like 
battle, it was combat, it was state of an emergency. So the, the principle behind it, the policy made sense. However, this was a situation where they're barring our active military, our, our soldiers, from being able to pursue a malpractice claim that happens on U.S. soil at a military hospital like Womack, where it's pure negligence, pure malpractice, nothing to do with combat, nothing to do with war. This is just a regular hospital, a regular um, health care visit uh, that most people just don't think twice about. They're trying to use the Ferris Doctrine to bar Richard and other soldiers from being able to pursue a malpractice claim when it has nothing to do with war, has nothing to do with combat. Simply a, a civilian doctor that completely uh, neglected to practice the standard of care. So just so everybody understands, right, the, the Ferris rule, which you just described, um, has been responsible per for preventing other people from suing the military for what amounts to malpractice. And, I, and in the little research I've done, um, Natalie, I found case after case after case of circumstances that in the civilian world would be a slam dunk. And, uh, you know, in fact, Rich, you sent me a link to a CBS story from 2008 where the reporter did a story about a Marine, a, a, an Iraq combat vet, who ended up dying because of a misdiagnosis related to melanoma. And in the report, that CBS report, and keep in mind, this was in 2008, everybody listening, okay? Ten years ago, the story alluded to hundreds of cases like this. So let that sink in. Hundreds of service members or their family members who have no redress if something goes wrong. So my point is, Rich, uh, you know, your case, while personal to you and your family, obviously, um, it's not disturbingly, uh, it's disturbingly not unique, right? So how, so Natalie, how do you tackle something like this? Well, how do you tackle it? You give the same rights that us civilians enjoy. I'm not sure you're not a civilian, but civilians like me, who's never served a day in my life, somebody commits malpractice on me, I can go and sue them, to the practitioner, to the hospital, based on negligence, state laws of negligence in a tort. If malpractice occurred to a veteran who goes to the VA, he can sue the VA based on the Federal Tort Claims Act. The only person in the United States of America that's barred to sue a malpractice lawsuit is our soldiers, saying basically they're basically discriminated against. They're not being applied the same rights anyone else is being applied. Like, you're talking about veterans here, right? The difference between a veteran and a soldier is one's retired and one's still active duty. I'm not talking about expanding the law where we're giving them the right to sue for malpractice in battle. I'm talking about just when they're in U.S. soil, just like any other civilian or veteran, there's malpractice. They should have the same rights to be made whole as anyone else. Why is this discriminatory treatment happening to them? It really is. It's like separate but equal. It's not. Separate is not equal. We learned that years ago in the Supreme Court. Separate is not equal. How is this separate, treating them dif differently, disparately equal? It's not. And it's an unjust and unfair law that needs to be changed. So um, I, I want, again, I keep going back to the listeners because I want people to understand um, this is not even remotely close to a, a uh, sort of a partisan political thing. This is this is pure bureaucracy. Um, so in reading up on this, the Ninth Circuit, right, the Ninth Circuit out on the West Coast, arguably the most liberal court in the land, has ruled against plaintiffs trying to take on this law. But in their rulings, um, you know, in their decisions, they've really slammed this Ferris rule as unfair. Um, but then, so I thought, okay, I get it, the Ninth Circuit, I do some more research— um, I came across comments from Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, arguably the absolute inverse of the Ninth Circuit in terms of ideology, right? 
um, including, you know, I pulled the 2013 ruling in the case of Lannis versus the U.S. Uh, Justice Clarence Thomas, right, he wrote the dissenting opinion. He went on and on and on. He ended up basically saying that this law uh, stinks. It's not, it, the way it's being applied is not as it's written. And he agreed with Justice Scalia that, quote, Ferris was wrongly decided and heartily deserves the widespread, almost universal criticism it has received. At a bare minimum, it should be reconsidered. There was also a bill introduced in 2009. Uh, I looked it up. There hasn't been any movement in the House on that thing since 2010. So now listen, and I bring all that up, Natalie, because I want to give context and I want to give background. Um, Judges don't make laws. They interpret them. But you've had the most liberal judges. You've had the most conservative judges. Both share the same opinion of this law. You've had legislators share the same opinion of this law. Why is this not changing? Well, I agree with you. You know, this is not a political issue. This is an American issue. And this law has to change. You know, we have this law is so um, antiquated. It's from the early 50s. You know, it's um, it was created during the time of World War II. There was many reasons. You know, medicine was not as good as it was. There was a high um, amount of active military. It was created at the time. You know how they say time change and so people. This was something that was created. And as just like any other laws out there, Brown versus Board of Education, um, all these other rulings that they said, you know, um, loving versus loving, where they said, you know, um, you, a white person can marry a black person. There has been many laws that have changed and been reversed by our own court. And at this, this is the time where we need to say, hey, look, let's visit this law. This was created many years ago. This was created for a certain purpose. It was definitely um, expanded, um, wrongly expanded, and this needs to be reversed. And if we can't get the, the Supreme Court to reverse it, let's get legislation to write a law, to an exception, an exclusion to the, fer, fer, uh, the, the uh, Federal Tort Claims Act and say, hey, look, if it's happening on U.S. soil, if it's a military hospital, like what is there, 41 of them? If, this, if they're committing malpractice on our on our uh, members or our military members or their family, they are liable for malpractice. They have to be treated just like anyone else. They have to be accountable for their mistakes, like they would be anywhere else in private practice. So, so let me and let me let me tee this up from the other side. How do you respond if somebody says, "Well, I get what you're saying, and I feel for you. I do, and it makes sense when you say that." But I'm I'm the government guy, and I'm looking at this, and I'm going, if if we do this, if we change the law the way you just pitched it, we are opening Pandora's box to every single, uh, uh, you know, grievance out there that anybody can imagine, and it's going to cost us billions of dollars. How do you respond to that? Well, the Pandora's box is already open. We have some very net doctors out there practicing medicine when they shouldn't be. You know, they need to find a different hobby because... Practicing medicine like our soldiers are guinea pigs is not the answer. So let's talk about the Pandora's box. Pandora's box, let's, what, what is more important to our, to our country? Keeping our soldiers safe or worrying about this doctor being hit with malpractice because he just killed one of our soldiers that we can't replace? What is Pandora's box, really? It, you know what it really means? If we actually did this, as Trump said, you know, we're going to drain the swamp. Here, I, I consider this uh, draining the stuff, the stuff pot of society. This is the worst positions that are actually going to be accountable for the harms they've done to our military. These people, we are basically, if we can, the, the real truth here is if we treat our soldiers like we treat our civilians, 
and I believe in a free market. And I'm a capitalist, which means if you suck at what you do, you won't have business anymore. And if you can be hit with malpractice like any other physician could, then you are probably going to lose your job and find another profession that you aren't bad at, right? So if you suck at being a doctor, if you are not catching mistakes, if you are killing our, your patients, you shouldn't be practicing medicine. And what's the way to get rid of those people? They get hit with a lawsuit. They get hit with malpractice. Guess what? Eventually, when they're, when they're hit with enough malpractice suits, people are going to realize this is a bad doctor. He shouldn't be practicing medicine. And we will weed out the bad malpractitioners out of our system. We don't need them in there. Right now, there is no accountability. It's almost like they have, like, complete immunity from any accountability. They can't get sued. They don't have to carry malpractice insurance. They can just do whatever they want, and it's okay because, you know what, the law, the first doctrine, protects them. I don't really think that that's what our legislators thought or the, the court thought when they, when they were writing this law. It wasn't made so that way people can abuse the system by committing malpractice on our soldiers and our military and our just basically good old America and get away with it. And that's what's happening. They've abused the system. They've allowed for these guys to continue practicing or malpracticing medicine, and they're not being held accountable. So the Pandora's box is really that we've allowed all these bad practitioners in the system to harm on our soldiers. Those guys, we can't get them back, okay? And we can't afford to lose good soldiers. So what's more important? Are we worried about that, that bad doctor getting sued for malpractice? I think that's actually a good remedy, if anything. So now you've you've been meeting with uh, various legislators, right? Various lawmakers. Without getting into the the specifics of the conversations, what are you sort of? What's your pitch? And then where does that stand? What kind of reception are you getting on this? Well, let me tell you. I think that we have some outstanding congressmen and women um, out there that are very supportive of this effort. Um, I don't think actually there's a a person alive that can say that. I don't stand behind our, our country and our military and their families. I can't see anyone saying, no, I want to defend the guy who commits malpractice. I really don't know anyone on this earth that's going to say, sign me up. I want to, I want to be on the bad guy's side. So our, our congressmen and, and women have been very open to this. Um, we've met with Congresswoman Spear today. We met with Congressman Mullen today, uh, Congressman um, Hudson, and uh, just several ones. Uh, and Tillis's office and Burr's office, and we plan on meeting with many more. But I got to tell you, it's again, it's not a political issue; it's an American issue. Both sides of the fence see that they want to protect our military and our country, basically, from the harm that's being committed to them. Uh, we want to weed out the bad guys, and we want to save our our soldiers. Because you know, if they go to battle, if they're going to get harmed, it should be because of our enemy. Someone like ISIS should be killing them, not our own doctors and, and WOMAC. That's just crazy. They didn't sign up for this. That's not part of the risk that they took to protect our soil. So, I mean, do you, is there any indication that there's going to be any uh, either movement on that old House bill? I think it was... Uh, Absolutely. It. Absolutely. Yeah. We talked about it today. We talked about ways we can improvise it. Um, we've actually done a petition on change.org. There's over 5,000 signatures. Um, so we're talking about um, how we're going to do this, who's going to impact, how to carve it out. I think that, you know, over the years, if they had passed it back in 2009, um, we Richard wouldn't be in this position. All these men and women and their children and parents that called my office telling me about their stories, they wouldn't be in this position if they would have passed it back then. So it can't happen. This can't go another decade 
without falling on deaf ears. It has to change. You know, it, we can't lose our loved ones, let alone our military. Well, for anybody, uh, any of the the uh, congressional nerds out there like me who like to dig into this, it's uh, 1478, uh, H.R. 1478. And like I said, it died uh, in 2010. It just sat there. They they put an amendment in. They killed the bill, uh, and it has not moved since then. So I hope you uh, I hope you're able to resurrect that thing and and push it along, or at least some comparable language, because the way it was written, it was real basic. It was like a page um, that would have uh, it would have revised the language of the Ferris Doctrine, not completely eliminated it. Is that where you're going with this? Are you are you going for just a, a an alteration to the law? Well, we're looking to make an exclusion to this law, to the uh, Federal Tort Claims Act, where we're going to say um, if it's on U.S. soil, if it's not in the time of um, of battle, combat, theater, if it's here and it's not connected, you're not overseas, you know, with a gunshot wound being... Um, trying to be saved, but rather you're going in for a routine visit like Richard did, there's no reason why this should be defended and Richard should be barred from being able to pursue his right to be made whole and his family's right to be made whole. So we're looking to not only do the exclusion, but we're also looking to improve our system, you know, make sure that the bad doctors are weeded out, add some more measures as to screening the doctors that get to practice medicine in our military systems and our VA hospitals. You know, a lot of these civilian doctors, I'm not saying all of them, but a lot of them question their background, their history. So let's look into what kind of doctors are being um, pulled in to practice on our military. I mean, look, if, if our veterans and our soldiers aren't the most important people in our country, then who is? Okay, so why am I getting more rights than they are? You know, I, I didn't fight for our country, and yet I'm the one who has the benefit and the protection that they don't. It doesn't make sense to me. So how, I mean, you touched on this briefly with the petition, and, um, and, and you know, and I know you're doing your part uh, to meet with legislators and, and, you know, sort of get the story out there with media stuff. But how do, if I'm sitting at home and I'm listening to this and I hear this story or I see it on TV or I read it in the paper, how do I get involved? How does the normal person well, just get involved somehow? I appreciate you asking that. Go to www.ferrisdoctrine.com, which is S-E-R-E-S, doctrine, D-O-C-T-R-I-N-E. And not only can you do this petition signing, the petition and being part of this, because what we're doing is you fill in your information and we're sending it to your congressmen and your legislators. You know, we're getting all the petitions we can, gathering up, collecting them and showing our, you know, our country that we stand united. You know, Americans are for this. We want to see our veterans and our soldiers and our military and their families have the same standard of care that all of us enjoy that we don't think about twice ever. You know, somebody's going to, most people are not going to commit malpractice. So the ones that do need to be weeded out and they sure shouldn't be practicing on our soldiers. Well, and again, this is a, this is not, I I just want to, I just want to make people uh, aware of, I want to just make it crystal clear. This is not a partisan thing. This is a, as you said, as you said, Natalie, an American thing. Correct. Uh, So people. it's so un-American to deny someone a right, a basic right. So you're going to tell me that someone can malpractice on you and you can't, hey, look, I'm, I should be able to sue them. You would be up in arms. I would be up in arms. Why shouldn't they be up in arms? No, agreed. Agreed. So, uh, Rich, let me go back to you for a second. Um, So uh, looking at this thing big picture, uh, if you can write, if you could sit down and just script out the rest of this story, 
right? From you know, from from today to the very end of this thing, where does it go and how does it end? What's what's the sort of the fairy tale ending for you? Uh, you know, honestly, the the fairy tale ending would be um, one that I can't get back, and that's the, the fact that I'm going to have cancer for the rest of my foreseeable life, unfortunately. But it would be to to solve this problem, you know. Of course, I'm, I'm trying to look after my family. I'm trying to take care of them as best I can through certain actions. The other action is, at the end of the day, this isn't just about me. This is about every American out there. You know, I, I understand a lot of people will turn a blind eye and go, oh, it'll never happen to me. But the reality is, is we've been in a war now for almost 18 years, right? I've been in since the Twin Towers have gone down. I've seen generations come and go. There are, there are sons and daughters that are walking the same path as their fathers and their mothers were in Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, the same trails up in the mountains, it's coming around twofold on generations, and it's going to keep impacting them. And if people sit here and keep turning a blind eye to this and say, oh, it's not me, but what about when their sons or daughters do enlist? What about when, you know, it happens to their grandfather or their mother or their, or their father, who is active duty? You know, so the, the, the fairy tale would be to fix this, to, to imply that legislative measures are taken, to, like Natalie said, weed out the bad doctors. I'm not asking, and I don't think any other soldier out there is asking for special treatment. You know, most of us shy away from special treatment. We just want to be like everybody else. We're, just, we're an American citizen who just took on an oath to do a certain job for everybody else. And we just want to be treated equally and fair. And that's what it comes down to. Equal rights and fair opportunity. You know, we've, like Natalie said, we've, we've overturned unfair justice or unfair uh, situations within America constantly since we've been around. Well, why aren't we unturning this one? Why isn't this one making headways? And we're still sitting here saying you're less of an American because we're going to strip rights from you. I, I just want to be treated like everybody else, and I want to see everybody else treated right. And at the bottom, and at the end of the day, too, I want to see closure for so many families that had situations like mine that are still not closed. Yeah, it's uh, that's a good point, Richard. You know, it's amazing that uh, you know laws that can bring in revenue or cater to special interests or or somehow uh, those laws are handled with lightning speed. But when there's something of substance that takes away from the government, right, reduces their power, uh, you know, it's something icky for lawmakers. It, it languishes uh, until there's enough public outcry. So yeah, and we have changed laws before. We have changed unjust laws before, and this one's sixty years old. So um, it's time. Uh, you know, and, I, and one last—I mean, I've seen—you know—we've all seen over the years. There's, there's so many, you know, this side or that side, and there's all this fighting going on in the country, you know, all the time. And it, you know, some of it is great because that's what makes America America. You know, is just standing up for your rights, right? Just like I'm doing, you know. But I believe that this absolutely beyond political. This is just—and I think Natalie said this is an American thing here. This is, this affects everybody. There's not a person that can hide from this. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your ethnicity, it, or it doesn't matter your gender. This affects everybody from coast to coast in every direction. If you're on American soil and you're a citizen, it affects you. And if not today, I promise you, it will affect you one day. Well, and it's it's clearly affecting uh, you and your family. Um, that's that's why you're on today. But uh, there are untold hundreds of other people who are. Who are going through similar things? Um, how's your How's your uh, and I didn't even ask, and I, I apologize for that. How is your wife doing? She she she's a fighter. She she stays strong, but she does it a lot, you know, because we have two young girls at home, and mm-hmm. 
she she's got to take care of him and she knows that and uh there's days where i'm just not my best and she unfortunately has three people to take care of far more than i ever thought she would um you know you never you never expect to to take care of the ones of your same age or younger except for when raising them yeah (laughs) isn't that the truth right um yeah, I mean, look, we're, we're going to do our best to rally the listeners, to reach out to lawmakers, uh, you know, to other media, and hopefully see if, if this one law, um, just one, can be either altered or revisited uh, to open the pathway for the justice that, that you and your family need, uh, and, then, and then hopefully clear the deck for other people in the future, because uh, th- this, um, this is shameful. And, uh, you know, I do want to say, if there are any updates that, that you want to provide, Rich and Natalie— um, you know, provide some additional actions to take, whatever it is, please let us know and, and we'll have you back on to, to walk through it. Um, yeah, actually, the, the one last thing, actually, yeah. somebody out of, uh, the, you know, the kindness of their heart who uh, believes in this started a Facebook page um, solely in honor of, the, of which is uh, more than I could ever ask for, but my, my name and it's support for Sergeant First Class Richard Statesville on Facebook. And, uh, we're just going to start posting, you know, things that are going on with this so people can follow up. You know, they can reach the website through there and they can do this. They can sign the petitions and they can keep current updates with what's going on with, you know, not just myself, but this this fight against the Ferris Doctrine and its injustice. Well, make sure you uh, make sure one of you send me the link to that and we'll throw it up on our website as well. Absolutely. I appreciate it. So, uh, Richard, you know, first of all, I got I have to say I thank you for serving uh, in the capacity you did, and I, like I said before, I, I know what it means to have earned that Green Beret. I didn't do it because um, <laughs> clearly I'm too lazy, but uh, but I know what's asked of you guys, uh, you know, the, 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 the group you were with and, and what you face when you're in given situations. And um, like I said, you have my admiration and respect for, for your time in uniform and what you did. And But more than that, uh, thanks for staying in the fight, man, and, and, you know, setting a good example for for so many others who are in a similar situation, because they might not have that voice, they might not have the strength to, to stand up and rally, and, and you you are still the tip of the spear. Oh, absolutely. I loved every minute. And like I said, you know, this isn't about one, this is about all. I like it. You still have the team spirit. <laughs> um, and Natalie, I, I appreciate what you're doing. Uh, that's a heck of a noble fight, and I want to thank you for shedding light on this and, and for— Again, for that noble battle that you're taking on, I know it's uh, you're going to need some head. You're going to run into some headwinds on this. Um, so any any resources you need, all you have to do is reach out. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's my honor to do this, and um, I'm very grateful to have Richard as my client because he is a real inspiration to so many people at so many levels. He's a real hero, you know, not just overseas but here now too. Well, I, I do wish you luck in this thing, and, and like I said, we're going to check back with you for updates and, and progress reports and see how, how it's going, and uh, if there's anybody we can reach out to, uh, we're going to do it. As I, as I explained to you the other night, um, you know, we have some other folks we can turn to and get involved in this thing who have a much, much bigger platform than we do uh, on this show, so we'll be tapping into that, too. But, I appreciate uh, it. Any help, we would really be really, really um, happy and very grateful to take. Well, and I want to remind listeners, you know, there are a whole bunch of new legislators that are going to get sworn in in January, and they're all looking to make a, a, a name for themselves. So this is a ripe and opportune time to, to get in the fight, because uh, a lot of these people have a fresh whiteboard, and they need to put some stuff on it, and this is this should be at the, the top of their list. Jim, I'm so, I'm so happy you just said that. That's so true, you know, and thanks for recognizing that. There's a lot of new members that are coming in 
and maybe this is most important, yeah, and a lot of veterans too, maybe mm-hmm. this is really something that we can all rally up and do, you know, like they say, take the community, we'll take the country in this situation or act the Congress. So let's do that, you know, let's all work together to make, make it a better world for not just our soldiers and our veterans, but for their families too. Well, and you just said it together. This is a great opportunity for both parties to put down the nonsense and come together for something real. Yep, exactly. So, uh, Natalie Quam, Richard Stasekel, I, I appreciate you coming on. I want to have you back soon uh, so we can get an update on, on what's happening. Definitely. We'd be Absolutely. love to Thank do it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jim. Absolutely. Take care. And, and Richard, give, uh, you know, give my best to your family. Absolutely. I will. Thank you. Thank you. And that does it for this episode of the Veterans Report. I'm your host, Jim Cannon. You've been listening to The Veterans Report. Let others know about the show. You can find us online at theveteransreport.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to editor at theveteransreport.com. Join us again at the same time for up-to-date veterans news and information. The Veterans Report, Saturdays at 5 on 92.3, 94.1, 102.1, and 620KHB. Thank you for your service and carry on. The Veterans Report has been sponsored by James Cannon.